Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Years ago, when I surrendered my heart to Christ, I caught a glimpse of his glory. Not with my eyes, but in my heart. And the Lord Jesus Christ changed me, and and he is a living God. I've experienced his presence in my life. Um, Isaiah had such an experience. He, he actually was in the temple, and he saw, said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. And I said, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. And, of course, God says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here am I. Send me. Sometimes God gives us a glimpse of who he is, whether in experiencing his presence in this life or whether, as in the disciples' case, an actual appearance before them in his glory. But God does so in order to prepare us for what he has for us in life. And uh, the disciples had been arguing with Jesus about whether or not he should suffer. Jesus had predicted his death, and uh, Peter had rebuked him, and of course Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. But Jesus knew that his disciples would need some encouragement. What they were going to go through was going to be an extremely difficult time. And so he knew that they needed to see who he was in all his glory so that they could be prepared for what was yet to come. And so Jesus takes Peter James and John up with him on the mountain. We don't know which mountain. Some believe it was Mount Hermon. Um, But Jesus is transfigured or transformed before them. And his clothes become wide and they're glimmering. And the glory of his presence begins to shine forth. Now, I don't believe this is the full glory of Jesus' presence. I believe this is just a glimpse. Because the Bible says no one can look upon God and live. But God is showing them just a little bit of who Jesus is and all of his power and glory. Um, And Moses and Elijah appear. How they know it's Moses and Elijah, apparently it's a supernatural thing. But Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus. They are listening to him and they're interacting with him. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, someone is uh, maybe they're an important person or, or maybe they're well-known or uh, they're being honored or something and everybody's gathering around them to talk. Um, this is what's happening. Moses and Elijah are gathering around Jesus to talk. And, and then the, the Shekinah glory cloud comes down and just kind of envelops them on the mountain. And God says to them, This is my beloved son. Listen To him. Not Moses and Elijah. Listen to him. Now that's a stamp of approval right there. But uh, uh, God showed these disciples. Listen. This may not make sense to you. What Jesus is saying may, may be foreign to you. But I want you to know. There is somebody you need to listen to. And it's not Moses or Elijah in this case. It's Jesus. You need to listen to him. And that's what we need to do as well. 
And so um, we need uh, to follow Jesus and listen to him and the specific things that he is telling us to do in his word and through his spirit. The title of my message is A Glimpse of His Majesty. A Glimpse of His Majesty. Look with me at verse 1 of Mark 9. It says, Then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them on a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say since they were terrified. A cloud appeared overshadowing them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. A glimpse of his majesty. What does God want us to see here in Jesus' transfiguration? He wants us, first of all, to see his powerful rule. His powerful rule. Uh, Verse 1 says, Some will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God come in Power. What do you mean by that, Jesus? He shows them on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, yes, there were new uh, experiences of the power of the kingdom, Jesus' resurrection, and at Pentecost, and so forth. But, but here on the Mountain of Transfiguration, they see Jesus ruling in power. You know, things are not always as they seem in this life, are they? Sometimes it seems like we're about to fail. And we don't fail. We have a victory in our life. Sometimes it seems like everything's going wrong and then we find out that God was up to something we didn't even realize he was up to. For the disciples, it would seem as though Jesus was defeated, as though he was a failure. As he hung upon a cross... But Jesus was winning his greatest victory. To prepare them for this, he he shows them Jesus ruling in power. This this same one who would hang upon the cross is the one who is holding the universe together by his power. (laughs) He's the Colossian force. All things came into existence by him and are held together by him. All his power. He's the one... Before whom all of the Old Testament prophets bow. All of the angels of heaven. You remember, I, I always was amazed when they discussed Ezekiel's angels. You know, these, these fearsome beings. And they had voices so powerful that the ground shook when they spoke. They bow before Jesus in his glory. This is the power of our Savior. So, 
whatever you may be going through in life, catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. He is not hanging on a cross today. He is risen. He is ruling at the right hand of God the Father. One day, that rule will be made evident and every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So his powerful rule was the first thing he wanted you to see. And what does that mean for us? God is in control in your life. Everything may seem out of control, but God is in control. Jesus Christ is sovereign. He can speak into the situation and everything will change. Sometimes he calls us to a path of suffering. Sometimes he calls us to a path of difficulty. But he is in charge in the midst of that difficulty. And nothing can touch us but what is inside his permission and for his purpose. Peter says it this way. He says uh, these various trials will come if it is necessary in your life. So Jesus is in control. Trust him in your life. So the first thing he wanted them to see was his powerful rule. Secondly, his great glory. His great glory. Latter part of verse 2 says, He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. They're dazzling. I mean, it's just brilliant. Now, the glory of Jesus is an amazing thing. Whenever a prophet in a vision saw a vision of Christ, they fell down on their face in terror. Such was the glory. You remember John's description in Revelation? He says, his face shines like the sun in all its glory. His eyes are like fire. His feet are like bronze and Uh, He rules in complete sovereignty. John was so overwhelmed by what he saw that the angel had to touch him and give him strength so he could even stand up to stand what he was seeing in the vision. This is the glory of our Savior. Now, they just got a little bit of a glimpse of it. and The little glimpse was enough uh, to give them a picture of who Jesus was. But his great glory. I want to tell you something. The brilliance of the sun and the brilliance of the best things you've ever seen cannot even compare to the glory of Jesus Christ. He is the king of glory. (laughs) He is the source of glory. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means that Jesus is like no one else. You see... If I was in charge of your life, you might have something to worry about. Because I'm limited in what I can do. I'm limited in what I know. Uh, Jesus is not limited in what he can do or what he knows. He has all glory. All power, all glory belongs to him. And so, Jesus is in a completely different class than we are. You and I, we fail. We make mistakes, right? Uh, isn't it amazing? You know, you grow up. I, I can remember when I was little thinking, you know, boy, you know, my dad, he's always right. Then I finally reached the age where I recognized he's not always right. It kind of blew my mind. I was like, what's this about? And um, 
But God is never wrong. He's never mistaken. He never, he cannot fail. <laughs> that song, Jesus Never Fails, I remember uh, we heard that at a convention one time. Adrian Rogers got up afterwards. He said, friend, he said, Jesus cannot fail. I love that. <laughs> he, he is the glorious one. The Son of God. The fact that Jesus is in a different class than we are means that he could take care of our sin as he has promised to do. He can give eternal life as he has promised to do. He can be our good shepherd and take care of us in our times of need because of who he is. Anyone else saying, hey, you know, uh, listen, I'll be there for you. Well, that's, that's a wonderful sentiment, but what we can do is limited. He will always be there for us because of who he is. So we can trust him in the circumstances of life. So a glimpse of his majesty, what does he want us to see? His powerful rule. Secondly, his great glory. Thirdly, his important words. His important words. Why do Moses and Elijah speak with Jesus? Well, different gospels give us some different details and so forth, which I'm not going to get into all those things. There's some, several reasons. But I believe in Mark's gospel what is being emphasized here is the fact that they show up to listen to Jesus. The irony here is huge. Here you have the disciples. They don't want to listen to what Jesus... They, listen, Jesus, you say you're going to die. We don't want to hear that. And Peter is just the one who has the courage to say it. Everybody else is thinking it. And Peter says, Lord, far be it from you. That's, that's not the plan of God. So they're rejecting him and what he's saying. Moses and Elijah are listening to him. <laughs> There's something to be learned, disciples, right? <laughs> and something for us to learn, right? Sometimes we think, well, you know, if I listen to God, my life's going to go the wrong direction. No, your life will go the right direction if you listen to God. may not go the direction other people think it needs to go, but it will go the right direction. I found that God's plan is a whole lot better than my plan for life. And so, um, his important words, uh, as Elijah and Moses listened to him, that it's demonstrated. This is what you're supposed to do, is listen to God. But as God says from the Shekinah glory cloud, listen to my son. There's another exclamation point put upon that. Jesus speaks words that are more important than anybody else's words. You can turn on the news and probably half of what you hear is a lie and, you, and most of the rest of it is a mistake. But not so with God. God's words are completely reliable. I like what uh, the word of God says about Samuel uh, God let none of his words fall to the ground. God was sustaining him in what he said. That's, he was a great prophet of God. But there's a difference between Samuel and Jesus. Samuel, God was upholding his word. Jesus, his word cannot be mistaken and cannot fail. It's the word of deity. It's the word of God. Ultimately, who we need to listen to 
You say, well, there's lots of people I listen to. I, I listen to my family. I, listen, I get advice from people in my family. That's a good thing to do, especially if your family's a godly family. Uh, I get advice from wise people I know in the world. That's a good thing to do. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there's safety. But let me tell you something. If you don't listen to anybody else, listen to Jesus. And by the way, sometimes Jesus will say the opposite of what everybody else is saying. I had that experience one time. I, I remember uh, in Texas I was going through a problem at, at church and I was trying to get some wisdom. And so I was asking a group of pastors about it. There's eight of them and I got eight different opinions on what I should do. Talk about confusing. I thought, well, boy, that was useless. I, what am I going to do with that? And so I went to God and God told me something that none of the eight said. So occasionally God will lead us in a path that goes against what everybody else says, and that's okay. Matter of fact, the disciples who founded the early church are disagreeing with the will of God in Jesus' life. So be careful. Counselors are good. Counsel is good. It's wise to get good counsel. But ultimately, listen to God. First of all, in His Word. The, the Word of God, the Scripture is the first place we listen to God's counsel. Um, By the way, you ought to let the Word of God correct what you believe and what you think. And you ought to let it correct the preacher. Because as much as I try to be right, I know I'm probably wrong some of the time. And, And you need to listen to the Word of God before you listen to me, or anybody else for that matter. And anybody who tells you to throw out part of the Word of God or all the Word of God or tells you something opposed to the Word of God, what they're saying should be rejected out of hand. God has given us, the Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God. It's the God-breathed message from God. So, His important words come from the Scripture. They also come through the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell within us. Now, You say, well, preacher, have you heard God audibly speak? I haven't. Uh, I know some people who have, but I'm not one of them. But I have heard God speak in my heart. It wasn't an audible word I heard, but it was something that I understood that I was supposed to do. Um, One time I was supposed to confront a friend, and I argued with God about that one. For several days, consistently, I just had this burden upon my heart. This is what I need to do. And I knew that's what God wanted me to do. And so finally I, I, I surrendered to it and obeyed. And guess what? God worked in that guy's life. And nothing that I was afraid of actually happened. It's amazing how that works sometimes. So listen to his important words. And if you don't listen to anybody else, listen to Jesus. We, we were talking in, in Sunday school this morning about uh, just the amazing intelligence of God. And, uh, and somebody mentioned that the, the most powerful supercomputer in Oak Ridge is not as powerful as your brain or mine. You've ever thought about that? A lot of brilliant minds get together to try to figure out how to improve computer speed and function and so forth. And yet the brain in your head is more complex and more fearfully and wonderfully made than anything we can find in the computer world. Now, 
That did not happen by accident. God designed you for his purpose. That's what the word of God teaches. Um, So those who would say in the scientific community that you're an accident are wrong. Listen to God. Listen, we, we may not always understand why it's right, but we can always know that God's word is right. Give enough time for the evidence to come to the surface. And God will show what he has done. Um, so his important words. Listen to Jesus. So what does he want us to see in a glimpse of his majesty? His powerful rule, his great glory, his important words. Next, his terrifying presence. Verse 6 says, they did not know what to say since they were terrified. Now this is an interesting word. Uh, the word phobos in Greek means afraid or fearful, or uh, but this is a, actually a compound word. It's ekphobos, so it's it's like out of your mind afraid. Okay, <laughs> this is like fear squared or fear to the to the nth power. Okay, this is this is fear. Listen, they were scared to death. Sometimes it is helpful to have a glimpse of who God truly is in all of his power because it helps us respond to him in the right way. A lot of times I hear people say, uh, well, this word fear doesn't mean fear, it means reverence. They say that about the Old Testament words, but it's the same word that was used to Belshazzar when his knees were knocking together, watching the hand writing on the wall. Listen. I don't believe God wants us to be terrified in the sense that we're afraid to come into his presence because Jesus paid the price uh, for us to enter into his presence boldly. But I do think that God wants us to have enough fear of him to recognize who he is and his greatness and his power and to recognize that he is able to discipline us and bring us into line if he needs to. Right? I I remember uh, when I was growing up... uh, my father, I knew my father loved me, but I did not want to get on the wrong side of him, okay? Because I knew what was coming next, and those dreaded words my mother would say, I'm going to tell your father when he gets home. And I did not want to hear that. I, suddenly, I became very much in favor of intercessory prayer. I began to pray for myself in earnest, you know, or what? <laughs> or plead with my mother, one, you know. Probably that was more, more the case, but... Um, uh, I knew that I would be disciplined, and I knew that it wouldn't be pleasant. You know, we need to recognize, yes, we're accepted in Christ. Yes, God, we're not under God's wrath, but we are under his discipline. And if we, if we veer from the path and we persist on a sinful path, God will bring his discipline into our life to bring us back. Why? Because he loves us. But they gave him just a little glimpse of of who he was. Now, God's power is so great that we couldn't even look at him and and survive. Jesus is going to come back, and the Bible says in Revelation, by his brightness his enemies are slain, and by the words of his mouth. That's power. I think it's probably going to be very terrifying for the armies of the earth that are gathered around Jerusalem to see the Lord Jesus come back and to begin to just to speak, boom, 
you know, I went and saw the Avengers uh, this past Monday. Uh, and, you know, they've got, they can do some cool stuff. And I want to tell you, none of, none of what they do, of course, it's all fake, but none of what they do can even compare to what Jesus can do. He can speak, and entire armies are devastated. This is the power he has. Yet, he's tender with us as a good shepherd. Isn't that an amazing thought? Power under control. His terrifying presence. Why do we need to see Jesus for who he is? Because it brings things into perspective. Sometimes we are afraid of what people will say if we take a certain course of action. Or we may be afraid of consequences of making a certain choice. But ultimately, Jesus said, don't fear men who can kill the body, but ultimately can't do anything more than that. Fear God who can throw both body and soul into hell. So we need to have a perspective of who Jesus is because if you're lost today, you need Christ. You're in a dangerous position. If you're a believer today, you need to know the terrifying, awesome power of our God so that you can have faith to step out in obedience and know that God is with you. All things are possible with God. And nothing can stand before him. We don't have to be intimidated by the devil or his demons. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't have to be uh, defeated by the unknown. Because Jesus said, I'm sending you to make disciples. He's not explaining to them what's going to happen. He says, just know I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. If he's with us, he's got us. So his terrifying presence helps us understand that we can trust him and that we can listen to him and follow him because he's able to take care of us. And finally, I want you to see his holy purpose. His holy purpose. Look at verse 7. A cloud appeared overshadowing them. Now, if you're a Jewish person, this would have a, a great significance to you because... Wherever the presence of God came down in the Old Testament, it came down in, in the cloud. If you remember in the wilderness, uh, as Moses was bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, God came down, there was a pillar of fire and a pillar of a cloud and so forth. The pillar of fire at night uh, stood between them and the Egyptian army while God made the way through the Red Sea. Uh, then the, the cloud uh, would, would lift up off the tabernacle. After the tabernacle was built, the cloud came down. But it would lift up off the tabernacle. That was their cue to break camp and to move on. And they would follow the cloud. And then when the cloud would come and settle, uh, they, would, they would again make camp. Uh, and of course we know from the New Testament, the Bible tells us that cloud was Christ. Christ was leading his people. Uh, then when Solomon built the temple, again, you see the Shekinah glory cloud come down and fill the temple. Nobody could enter the temple because the presence of God was there. And so with the cloud coming down, what God is saying is, I am here. This is the living God that you read about or you might have heard about before. I've come down to speak, but I've also come down to fulfill my purpose. You see, 
when the cloud came down upon Mount Sinai, as Moses was receiving the law, God had a purpose. His purpose was to make Israel into a nation and to take them to the promised land. When, when the cloud came here, God's purpose is to send Jesus to a cross. Moses' purpose was to deliver a nation and take them to the promised land. Jesus' purpose is to deliver all humanity of all time who will put their trust in Jesus uh, so that they can enter eternal life. God had a purpose. His holy purpose. God's presence was coming down not just to declare to them, listen to Jesus' purpose, but also to invite them into that purpose. Did you know that God didn't call you and save you so you could be comfortable? God called you and saved you to fulfill the purpose he has for your life. And that purpose may include difficulty. And that purpose may include suffering. Matter of fact, Jesus um, elsewhere says through Peter, he says, uh, um, those who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Expect it. Now, the persecution we experience here in America is different than the persecution they are experiencing in other parts of the world today. But persecution will come all the same. But fulfilling God's holy purpose is the most significant thing you could ever do. I remember when I first came to Christ, one of the things that surprised me was this new sense of purpose that I had. Because for the first time, I was God's child and I had a God-given commission to tell other people about Jesus. And I was fired up about that. I was excited. Matter of fact, I was so excited. I was in fifth grade, okay? I was so excited. They had a track rack at the church. I grabbed the whole thing of tracks. And I went and I put a track on everybody's desk in my class. Some of them looked at me like I was from Mars. Some of them threw them away. You know, some of them... Looked at them, you know, and others, you know, kind of stuck it somewhere. You know, I kind of didn't know what to think. But, um, but I was just excited. I knew I had a purpose. If you could get a hold of that, the motivation in life is, is knowing that you can serve God and make an eternal difference for him. Yes, we work jobs and we do other things. We, we, we have time with our families. But... The most important purpose is to do and fulfill the purpose that God has for your life. And there's nothing more significant. Um, I was listening one day to Alistair Begg, and he was sharing about his childhood. And, and a certain teacher that he had when he was in Sunday school as a little boy. And he said, I can't remember her name. And I can't remember anything that she taught me. But one thing I will never forget. She loved us. He said, we were terrible. He said, I mean, we were terrible. He said, some of you teachers come and gripe about the kids in your class. And I know what you're talking about because I was that kid. But she loved us. And I've never forgotten it. And it was a picture to me of the love of Jesus. Can I tell you, that lady made an impact for Jesus. And, you know, we never know what God is going to do with a little faithful, believing, trusting service in Him. He has a holy purpose for your life. Don't settle for anything 
less. Glimpse of his majesty, what does he want us to see? His powerful rule, his great glory, his important words, his terrifying presence, and his holy purpose. Isaiah saw the glorified God in his vision in the temple. God said, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Send me. I want to encourage you as God's child today to just willingly say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Whatever it is, whatever role that you want me to fulfill, I'm willing to fulfill it. Send me. Or perhaps you're going through a time of suffering. Maybe suffering for the sake of Christ. You're taking some heat for it. And Lord, I will continue to follow you. I'll continue to speak for you regardless of the cost. God's got your back. Um, when Megan, Megan was, uh, she had a, a, a final, or, or well, no, it wasn't a final, it was a test in one of her math classes. And uh, uh, there was some weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth going on with it, and uh, she said, you know, she said, I'm so not ready for this test. She said, I'm just going to pray that God will have the professor move it. I said, well, let's pray, let's pray about it right now. So we, we prayed about it. The next day she called me. She said, i got to tell you this. He moved the test. <laughs> she was so excited. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but you know, God's got your back. He can, he can carry you through these times of difficulty in your life if you'll trust him and listen to him. But you've got to make that choice. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, letting us just have a glimpse of the greatness of who Jesus is so that we can be motivated to fulfill the purposes that you have for us. Help us listen to our Savior. Help us listen to your word, Father. And help us respond with the words, yes. Send me.